How the heck are you doing this fine day? Steve Dotto here, and I am looking forward to the conversation that you are about to share with me. Lisa Larder is my guest today, and Lisa is one of those people who has had a profound impact on myself through the transition, as I've transitioned from traditional media to the online space. I guess I met Lisa five or six years ago. She was speaking at Social Media Camp in Victoria. It, it's funny how there's a few events in our lives that are, seem to have uh, far more import than others. And Social Media Camp in Victoria is one of those events. Uh, it's really where I began my journey into social. I met people like Amy Porterfield, Mari Smith there, and Lisa is another person who I met there and she became a big influence in me through leadership, not necessarily through talking to me too much in the early days or coaching me in the early days. We became friends kind of after we had met at social media camp, but watching how Lisa did her business provided me some incredibly valuable lessons in the early days of me building my business. Lisa is, as I mentioned, I think I mentioned, she's Canadian. She comes from the Ottawa area where she used to work for TELUS, our major telco here in Canada. And she was an executive at TELUS. And then she went off on her own and spent some time in retail, running her own chain of retail stores, which gave her a tremendous foundation, both in the corporate world, but also in the retail marketplace. And Lisa, I always look at Lisa, and I'm sure she would not appreciate this, but as a bit of a throwback marketer, she really looks at some of the principles of marketing that come from, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago and bringing a lot of those basic premises into the digital age. She's a no-nonsense kind of person. She tells you exactly what's on her mind, which I appreciate, cuts to the chase. She's not afraid to, uh, to, to rub a few noses the wrong way in order to get her message across. But for me, just a little quick story, the biggest, uh, one of the biggest events in me starting to be successful in the online space was when I sold a course called Evernote Made Easy. It was my first successful online course. And I modeled the distribution of that course after Lisa's course that she delivered. Lisa delivered a course completely via email. And I took the course, watched what she did, watched the mechanisms that she put in place. And I used that and I set that against my Evernote course. And even though my Evernote course probably doesn't seem to the, an outsider as an email delivery, uh, as far as the mechanism for delivering the course, it very much is. We send each lesson out as an email and it's actually a shared Evernote note. But the genesis of the idea came from studying how Lisa how successful Lisa was with her online course. And I spoke to her uh, kind of at the end of that process, kind of asking her for some advice. She graciously uh, gave me some great feedback and great advice that got me right on the path. And that's really where our friendship began. And since then, it's we I've spoken at Lisa's conference. We we talk regularly, share ideas, and promote each other's products. She is just one of those people who I've come to rely on, both as a friend and as a mentor. And I am happy to share her with you today. Now, uh, one caveat on today's podcast is Lisa was joining me by Skype from her home in the East Coast. She lives; her home is now in 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 the Maritimes, and the internet connection was not particularly robust this fine day when we were having our chat. Consequently, Lisa's audio occasionally attenuates in and out. So you'll just have to, you'll have to bear with me. It's worth going through the little bit of poor quality audio because the nuggets that she drops are golden indeed. If you want to pick up any of the notes, if you want links to everything that we talk about, if you drop by our website, dottotech.com slash gray22, this is the 22nd of our gray matters. It'll be dottotech.com slash gray22 for links to Lisa and her book and all things that 
we talk about today. So let's dive in and have a listen to what Ms. Lisa Larder has to say today on Grey Matters. Steve Dotto here. How the heck are you doing this fine day? Welcome to Grey Matters, the podcast for those of us in the Grey Zone. What is the Grey Zone? Primarily baby boomers and Gen X, those of us sporting a touch of Grey. We're interested in finding our place in the digital age. On this podcast, we will learn about online marketing, community building, social networking, all from our perspective. The world's changing. The job market is not interested in us anymore. We're facing the prospect of a reluctant retirement, and that is not cool. We need a side hustle to take our experience and put it to work for us. We need to develop mad skills, adapt, and evolve in order to remain relevant in the digital age. I can help. This podcast can help. I'm glad you found us. But then I look at I look at Alan Weiss, okay. and Alan Weiss is my client. I mean, he's my my mentor as well, and he is 72 years old. He shoots a video every week. He's running a live streaming program. He's got a podcast. He blogs daily. He's not slowing down. He's 72. He might even be 73 now. He's a perfect model for you. Should interview him. I will. I will. But you tell me what you see in him. That a why is he a mentor of yours? What do you respect so much in somebody that's doing that? And what drives him ahead? What are, what are the core core values that are that that are make that are allowing him to still be so relevant and so engaged today? He's not afraid. He's not afraid. He's curious. He's he wants to be relevant for as long as he can be relevant, and he realizes that he can't be relevant and he can't make a difference if he is not on the cutting edge of what's going on in the world today. I love that. I mean, I had him using Periscope a few years ago. For God's sakes, Periscope. Because he's not afraid. So okay, so let's talk about that mindset. Let's talk about the the fear that we face in change. And, and when I spoke at your conference, the, the topic that I, I talked about video to your community and we dealt with fear because I was talking to them about what was stopping them from getting online on video and sharing their content on video. And much of that was on how we look at ourselves. Women are afraid, but they're, women are afraid of what they look like. They're not afraid of, um, I, I think they're a little bit afraid of saying the wrong thing, but I think they're more afraid of being judged by what they look like. Okay, that's for video. So I look at you today, uh, yeah, for video. I look at you today, you've got a t-shirt on, you've got, you know, it looks like a, a, a sweat jacket type of thing on. And I got up this morning and got in the shower and thought, oh, I need to be camera ready because I'm doing a podcast with Dotto today. I need to dress nice because I'm doing this thing with Dotto today. I need to look okay because I'm doing this thing with Dotto today. You didn't even think about well, it. I did a little bit. I looked to make sure my hair wasn't too crazy bad. But I'm going to the gym right after this, so I didn't want to have a shower before. You didn't put a button-down shirt on. You were like, you know, I put a I put a blouse on. I put a cardigan on. Like I dressed a little bit nicer than I normally would if I wasn't on camera. And so women are I mean, women have been objectified for as long as one can remember. So women are all care about what they look like. They don't want to do video because they're afraid they look too fat. They're not good looking enough. Like all of those things trip them up. And when they see themselves on the screen, it rattles them. And it, that, that is so frustrating because when they see, like you looking at me right now, you're not judging me, are you? No. 
And I know you can, because you have. <laughs> but I know you're not right now. And so it doesn't diminish the value of what we're doing. Okay, so let, let's kind of, let's unpack that for a moment. Because I've talked to, I had a guest on a couple of months ago who talked about the fact that she stopped dyeing her hair gray. She has gray hair. She stopped dyeing it. And since she stopped dyeing her hair, her views have plummeted. Her thumbnail, she won't put herself on thumbnails anymore. Because people don't watch, she was fairly successful on YouTube, uh, but it was, she was, saw a massive decline in if she put her picture on thumbnails, which is the exact opposite of what we teach. We want your faces on YouTube mm-hmm. thumbnails. But as soon as she stopped dyeing her hair, her views stopped, slowed down. If she pl- posted older pictures of her with colored hair, her views increased. How unfair mm-hmm. is that? I believe it. It's totally unfair. It's totally unfair, but it is, it's, it's statistically yeah. true. That's it, it, it. Okay. So if you are then at the stage where you are reinventing yourself, you're having to reinvent yourself. How do you then, what's, what mindset do you get into? Like, how do you overcome or get yourself in a position that you're willing to put yourself out? Like if you had, like, you obviously are comfortable on camera, on air, you've done so much of this, but if you're now just stepping into that mm-hmm. space. How do you get yourself comfortable with, with, with putting yourself out? Your first is your worst. It doesn't matter. Your first podcast, your first video, your first blog, your first newsletter, the first is always the worst. You can't get good at anything without repetition and practice. But I want to tell you a story, a story that you probably don't know. 10 years ago, when I bought my first flip camera, and I shot my first video in this dark little room with, you know, with the light behind me instead of front in front of me and did it all wrong. And then I t- attached that little flip cam into my computer screen expecting to be, you know, cool and hot, not hot, actually cool and slick <laughs> is better than cool and hot. Like Gary Vaynerchuk, um, I was mortified and I was mortified, Steve, because in my 20s, I had jaw surgery. And I had never seen myself on camera. And when I had jaw surgery, I have nerve damage on the side of my face. And so when I saw that first video, one side of my mouth did not move the same as the other side of my mouth. And I wanted to crawl into a hole and die because I didn't actually know that about myself. And in that moment, I looked at the video and I was like, what the hell am I going to do? I look, I can't believe I look like that. I can't believe I look like that. I can't believe nobody has ever told me that there's a problem with my mouth when I talk and that my mouth doesn't move the same way. What am I going to do? And I decided in that moment that my desire to make an impact was greater than my fear of looking bad. And I decided, screw it. I'm going to do videos. I don't care. And, but the other thing that I did is I started practicing in front of the mirror and I started exercising. I started doing all these exercises with my mouth to try to strengthen the muscle and and combat the nerve damage. And it made a difference. Mm -hmm. You had to overcome that obviously, but did you, could you not get yourself into the space where you gave yourself the same grace as you gave others? I mean, intelligent stuff comes out of your mouth. That's why you're here on this podcast. No. No. Because I was a beginner then. 
this was my first video. I was a beginner. Do you remember your first video? Yeah. The, the first time you do something, you don't have the self-confidence that you have after you've done it a hundred times. So you said you're going to the gym later. Do you remember the first time you went to the gym oh, a few mortifying. years ago mortifying. on your journey? Exactly. Yeah. Same thing, but you kept going and then you, you grew into the confidence around what you're doing. Do your mouth moving slightly differently still bother you? No. Unless I've dripped, you know, sauce on it. So if you're out for dinner with me and I don't know because I can't feel it, you have to tell me. So overcoming the fear, recognizing that your first is your worst is, is obviously it's, it's, it's a kind of a rite of passage that we all have to go through and recognizing that others have gone before you and believing in yourself. It, 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 was that the key for you though, is that you had the faith that what you wanted to share was so profound that you had to overcome this? No, it wasn't about me believing that what I, I, it was about me wanting to make a difference. It was about me wanting to help other people. I wanted, I wanted to help other people. I wanted to share what I knew. It wasn't because I thought, oh my God, I'm going to change the world with what I know. But it was about my desire to lead, my desire to make a difference, my desire to do this, to help other people. And by thinking about it through the lens of, I think I can help a lot of other people. I was able to basically check my own ego over what I looked like at the door. So for, so for the, for your community that is now reinventing themselves, the ones that are on this journey, what do you see other than the initial, the initial foray, the, the, the gating faith in yourself and overcoming those initial hurdles? What do you see as the biggest challenge? What mistakes do you see people making the most? Because you are good at identifying getting us in the right place. Um, I think the biggest mistake that people make is a lack of repetition and consistency. Mm. So they will try something and then they don't stick with it. So people have these ideas and they come out of the gate with an idea and they'll do one or two things and then they'll stop. And it's almost like they they think that they're going to get success and they're going to get traction right out of the gate. And so they don't when they don't get the results that they want after the first or second try, they start to to self doubt and question themselves and they lean back away from it instead of leaning into it. And so I would say anybody who's starting needs to be overcommitted for at least the first 90 days. If you're going to do video, do it every single day for 90 days. If you're going to podcast, do it every single day for 90 days. If you're going to write, do it every day. Like you've got to immerse yourself in the experience because if you look at the conscious competence model, we are all when we're starting something new we are all unconsciously incompetent. You don't know what you don't know. But then you do that first video, the first podcast, the first webinar, whatever it is, all of a sudden you are consciously incompetent. You know every single place you screwed up. You have a high sense of awareness that you do not know everything. That's the danger zone. As soon as you are consciously incompetent, you have to either continue to move forward to gain conscious competence, or you let your insecurities stop you from doing what it takes to become competent. You will never become unconsciously competent if you don't move into that third stage. The moment you identify incompetence, and you let it take a hold of you and stop you, you're screwed. That's a great perspective. I've never really thought about that journey. 
And so as you hit that stage where you recognize what you don't know, do you think that there is a challenge with Gen X and baby boomers that our ego then takes over? It's not that we're, it's not necessarily fear, but the fact, I think, especially with male baby boomers, you know, we think that, you know, we, we, competence is something that I know that I hold very near and dear to myself. It's a big part of who I am is this aura of competence that I feel I have in my space. Absolutely. So if I, even if I look at myself, when I left my job at TELUS, you know, I was responsible for almost a thousand people. I had 150 locations. I, I had a big job, big title. Everyone knew who I was. I opened my own little retail store. No one knows who I am. All of a sudden, my identity has changed and the significance that I felt tied to my work and my identity has changed. So if somebody is retiring from their job and they're embarking upon something new like this, there are nobody. And if you have been a somebody, then that creates a lot of, um, it, it creates conflict, it creates discomfort, uh, and you don't know how to get back that sense of identity. And so that can make you stop. I don't necessarily think it's 100% ego. I think it's we are so used to people knowing who we are in the career that we have chosen that when we decide to make a sharp right turn, start a new career, start a new, uh, start a new thing that we lack skill in, we are afraid of beginner's mind. We forget that we were able to accomplish great things in life and that those skills and characteristics that helped us to do that will help us do it in the next chapter. How do we identify what success looks like then? If you're, you know, if you're starting out and, and now we've gone through this stage of comp, what is it? Conscious incompetence where we're, we're okay. Let's, and, and in a lot of cases, it's pretty, appro it's pretty dealable. I like dealable. Is that a word? But you know, like doing your first videos, a lot of that comes down to figuring out how a camera works, figuring out mm -hmm. how lighting and sound works. So really easily learn skills when we stop and think about it. But now we look at the traction that we're getting, the numbers, the viewers, the, the engagement that we're getting with our community. How do you goal set so that you know you're on the right path in that space? I think that the stuff that you just described as easy isn't necessarily easy for everyone. You and I've had conversations about podcasting and video and green screens, and I grew up in the tech industry and I don't find that stuff easy. And so when somebody tells me it's easy and I stumble with it, then I feel like an idiot because it wasn't easy for me, but it was easy for you. So I think some of the stuff that we we presume should be easy isn't as easy as it sounds, first and foremost. The, the measurement of success that I think we should all be tied to is progress. So if you don't know how to shoot a video, then just learn. Like take baby steps towards where you want to go. And you know, the, here's something I talk to my clients about. Strategy is top down. It's not bottom up. So strategy starts with where do you want to go? Where is the ideal outcome? So if the ideal outcome is I want to start this online business and I want to, to generate, I don't know, $50,000 a year in additional income um, by writing or blogging or whatever it is, or by working with somebody on marketing uh, or advisement set the the strategy has to start up top and you have to start moving towards it it's not about improving the baseline of zero 
It's about moving towards the goal. Strategy doesn't start at the bottom and you try to take a little tiny step up. It's got to be pulled up by something big enough to draw you towards it. So then what you're doing is you're actually measuring the gap between where you want to be, where you are, and how you're moving towards it instead of the other way around, which is small marginal improvement. That's not motivating for anybody. I like that because it, what it does is it pulls you away from the minutia of the, the, the big challenge in initially creating a podcast or video is getting the video quality to that point. If you look past that as to what the goal of the video is, then the crafting the video and learning the skills of the video becomes just a very small intermediate step as opposed to a, a, a really major goal that you have to work towards. And one thing that you're really good at, I know, is helping people with that overall roadmap, is, is, is defining that roadmap. So let's say that somebody does have that exact goal that you've just outlined. Let's say they want to make you know, an extra $50,000 a year in income through uh, coaching coaching others because they've come out of business and they, they like the idea of a small amount of coaching as kind of as in the gig economy type thing. They want a few clients that they can coach in their space. Take me through that gap. Where do they start at the bottom and how do you fill that roadmap? How would you fill that roadmap? Well, they don't start at the bottom. They start at the top. So then some of the questions they need to ask themselves are what what is the objective of my business? What is it that I am trying to accomplish here? What difference am I trying to make? The second thing they need to ask themselves is who is my buyer? Because if you don't know who your buyer is, you can't create content to serve that buyer. It's like you're trying to be Coca-Cola and Coca-Cola is a multi-billion dollar organization. They do market to everybody, but you, Joe Blow, who wants to start a new business and coach for $50,000 a year, you cannot market to everybody because people will not know who you are and what you do. So you have to choose who you want your buyer to be. And I think the more niche you can be in making that choice, the easier it is to do your marketing. Now, just because you've chosen a buyer and you've niched down does not mean that you can't add more buyers or change things up, but you need to start somewhere. And that to me is an area where a lot of people get tripped up because they try to be everything to everyone. They look at their skills and they say, I can do A through Z instead of saying, I can do A through Z, but I am really good at ABC. So I'm going to focus on ABC. They need to be able to do that. Then they need to set some um, uh, measurements of success. So, you know, maybe the measurements of success are getting a website up and running and how much traffic they get to their website and how big their LinkedIn network is or their Facebook community or their mailing list. They need to have some measurements that help them to see the progress that they're making on this journey. And the next thing they need to do is they need to look at their thought leadership and they need to decide, are they creating content? Are they creating IP? Is the content going to be written content? Is it going to be audio? Is it going to be video? What structures and formats are they going to use to get their uh, message out there? And then how can they use social media to expand their reach and have more of the right people know who they are and what it is that they have to offer? And, you know, some of the ways that you do that, it, it's not just by hanging up a shingle and passively waiting for somebody to come to you. You got to get out there. I look at um, Marie Forleo's B-School as an example. 
I go into that group and there's 20 some thousand people in there. My favorite thing to do in that group is to use the search button. And I search for the word question and I search question marks. And I find questions that people have asked in B-School that nobody's answered and I answer the questions. And I show up or I answer questions and I answer them in the most contrarian way. So everybody else is saying, raise your fees. And I say, don't raise your fees. You're setting yourself up for failure. You're going to price yourself out of the market. Your fees have to be in alignment with your values and experience. So, you know, you got to look for ways to participate in the conversation that your buyers are having. And that helps you to become more known. And then lastly, you need to take a really good hard look at your website. You need to ask yourself, is my website attractive to my buyer? Is it clear what I do? Is it a place that they go and say, this person can help me? Or is it a place that they go and they don't, they can't really articulate what it is that you do? There is so much to unpack there. So I want to go right back to the first thing you said when you talked about the initial outreach to our to our, to the people identifying. Some people call it your avatar, your ideal customer. Mm-hmm. And it struck me that there is probably two aspects to that, two sides to that coin. One is there's the people who you want who can pay you who are going to get you to that $50,000. But there's another group of people who are attracted to you that don't move the ball downfield for you. I tend to think probably often when I create my content, I look for the immediate gratification of the people who follow me, but don't necessarily aren't going to be actually paying the bills at the end of the day because I get all of the warm and fuzzy social feedbacks of, I love your content, you're so helpful and all this kind of stuff, but actually turning those people into a customer, that might be a challenge. Am I unusual or is that often the case? No, that's... That is often the case. And there, if you read Digital Minimalism, there's actually, uh, there, there is science that supports that the reason that people are so addicted to their screens and social media is we are constantly seeking validation from others and we care way too much about what other people think. And that's why we are driven by notifications and we are, you know, we feel so good when people tell us they read our book, they like our stuff, blah, 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 blah. So here's what I would say. I think that when people are starting this out, I always look at things, rocks, pebbles, and sand. And you've heard me talk about this before, Steve. For me, it's like you've got to look at your business and you've got to ask yourself, what are the big rocks in my business? What are the pebbles in my business? And what are the sand? If you were to take a jar and you were to put sand in it and then pebbles and then try to fit the big rocks in, the big rocks are not going to fit. But if you took that same jar and you put big rocks in it and then you put pebbles in it and then you put sand in it, you have room for beer when you're done. So you got to focus on the big rock first. And that's why you need to know who your buyer is. I know with certainty that my best buyers own businesses that do over a million dollars a year. I know that because I know when they come to me, Money is not an, uh, is, is not uh, an issue. I know that they're willing to invest. I know that they take my, my word very seriously. I know they respect me. They see the value in what I offer and it's a great relationship, but not all of my customers or my buyers are there. And when I first started out, there's no way I would have been brave enough to put a stake in the sand and say, my best buyers run businesses that do over a million dollars a year because the itty bitty shitty committee in my head would have said, who are you to target that buyer when you haven't done that? Who are you to tell them? And so that's where the self-doubt comes in. 
So sometimes you have to just start somewhere and you have to pay attention to what buyer resonated with you. What did you like about that, that interaction with that buyer? What characteristics and values? What was it about their business? What was it about the relationship that created win-win? What was it about the one that sucked your will to live that you didn't like? How do you how do you not get that person again? People have got to be curious while they're on the journey. If they're not curious on the journey and they're not looking at the data points to try to figure out what was good about that, what was bad about that, what would I do different about that, then you're missing huge opportunities to learn. You mentioned something that you, with the Marie Forleo B School, that you go into that group and you go and you have conversations with individuals. You look for opportunities for conversations. I think that there's something mm-hmm. really important there. I think there's a subtle message there. Because of the massive numbers that we can reach on YouTube, with a podcast, we always look for those big number of clicks and those big numbers. We look at that as success. But if you look at what really moves the ball downfield for your business, it's individuals. I think that you've got the discipline that you've always had conversations. You've always gone for the relevant relationship rather than the big numbers. I guess it's that sand rocks thing. Is yeah. that conversation that you have with those people in B-School, has that been a thread that's woven through the entire your growth? I think so, yeah. I, I, I just, I believe that business isn't B2B. It isn't B2C. It's P2P. It's people to people. And the way that you resonate with people is one person, one conversation at a time. And so the beauty of an environment like B-School is my impact in having a conversation with one person is amplified and thousands of people can see it. And so sometimes the, conf- sometimes the conversation with that one person is not my right buyer, but my, my right buyer is watching. I've had lots of coaching clients come out of B-School. But it's the right conversation to have. Exactly at that time. Now, has that, has being willing to be engaged in these conversations, has that led you to creating the type of content? Because I know a lot of people listening are still at the challenge with what type of content should I be creating? What's the best? And I always felt from my own personal experience doing my YouTube channel was that even though I'd already chosen my format video, the content was driven by my community. They told me what they wanted to learn about by me engaging in conversations. Is that a worthwhile lesson as well? It's totally a worthwhile lesson. It's one way you can do it. You can go into these groups and you can mine questions. You can search for keywords and find out the questions that people are asking. But I'll tell you where my nuggets of great content come from. And it comes from what pisses me off. So when I'm in a group and I see somebody give somebody really bad advice And I think that is so dumb. You should not do that. And it fires me up and I'm irritated and I'm angry because I can't believe that people are saying you should do that. That is the best content I can create because I become the voice of reason. And I stand out from the crowd when everybody else is going, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden I come in and say, no, and this is why. And then people are going, oh, I didn't think about it that way. Sally Hogshead says, Different is better than better. So when you see things that other people are saying and it, and it, it, you you know, there's so many people out there, they're just trying to sell their stuff. And so when you see them giving advice that is 100% geared, like these business coaches that tell everybody they need a business coach, like, really? 
No, you don't. I didn't have a business coach for years. I did half a million dollars in my business before I had a business coach. You don't need a business coach. First thing you need is to ask yourself, am I coachable? Because if you're not coachable, don't waste your money on a business coach, right? So, but everybody will tell you, you need a business coach. And so for me, those are the things that I want to create content around. I want to create content around the hot buttons, so to speak, that allow me to be different from what everyone else is saying. So you're not afraid to as well, if things piss you off, you're not afraid to piss people off then as well. No, not at all. Not at all. Yeah. I got unfriended and blocked for doing that last night. You got unfriended and blocked? I got unfriended and blocked. Somebody posted something about Sidney Crosby donating $50,000 to the Special Olympics. And they were basically uh, criticizing him because it was less than half a percent of his annual income. Um, And there are people in our community that donate more money than that. And I responded and basically said, you know, I don't I, I, I don't think we should criticize people who give. And they said, I think you're missing the point. And I said, perhaps I said, but this is one data point. You don't know how much this person gives on an annual basis to different charities and causes. And I think anybody who is giving and trying to make a difference should not be compared to what someone else is giving. That got me unfriended and blocked. People are so sensitive. They are so sensitive online. And I think we have to kind of, we do have to, as you go through this this process, if you do, and I love this idea, the idea of, and I agree with you, things that piss me off, when I'm fired up about something, uh, I don't mind if people take a, a different view. Because I actually believe in it. It's when you manufacture it that it becomes a little bit of a challenge and, and it becomes a little bit disingenuous. But if you truly, if something really yeah. truly bothers you about what's happening in our industry, that's a big part of that, the experience that we should be sharing. That's what, right. you know, we, 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 aren't, we don't have to be pleasers. We right. shouldn't be pleasers, and, not if we're going to be leaders. And your community, the people that are listening to this podcast, they come from a different perspective, They were born before 1995. They didn't grow up with a cell phone in their hand and a computer screen attached to their hip. That perspective is unique and fresh and different than what a lot of other people are saying. Because a lot of other people online, they're all saying the exact same thing. They've taken the exact same courses online from the exact same leaders online. And so they're all saying the same thing because they don't actually know how to think for themselves. That's what's missing, Mm -hmm. perspective. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's the, 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 the gray wave. That's what we need. We need, that's why I call this the gray wave is we need this experience being the internet's not going to be prepared for what this dose of reality that can come down the pipe as we, as more and more of us get engaged. So that is, uh, that, that is golden as far as that's concerned. I'm, I'm still all fired up over you, uh, over you getting unfriended and blocked. It's I know. So I thought it was cool. hilarious. I, I know. I love girl. it. And for like <laughs> such a, uh, it wasn't even really mean spirited. <laughs> you know something? I think that one of the things when we work so hard to build our list, when we work so hard to get the views, especially in the early days, that there is, we have to take within, with reason what each of those individuals represents and how many more there are out there if we continue the course. And when you were talking about, you know, staying on the course for 90 days, that sort of thing, that we will sometimes, as we start to build a community, we will start to be swayed by the, by the vocal voices in that community. And maybe it'll, they'll pull us off path because we are concerned that they are all Mm -hmm. that there is there. And I, one thing that I've learned 
over and over again, and it seems a lesson that I need to constantly remind myself of, is there are so many people online that looking at your numbers and worrying about comparing your numbers to somebody else's or worrying about pissing this person off and that they're going to leave your community should not be an issue. I mean, you still have to run your business well and honorably and all those sorts of things. So just going about pissing people off is probably not the best course of action. Although I imagine some people are quite successful doing that. But recognizing just what a vast marketplace there is and how we can never serve our well, whole I, I think you can never so you can never serve your whole community. But I also think that there's a lot of smoke and mirrors online. Just because you have a hundred thousand followers or a million followers or ten thousand followers doesn't mean that you have a successful, lucrative business. So we make assumptions about people's success based on the numbers we see, and it's one data point. It's not the whole story. One of the things that you teach a lot, and was your last conference focused on revenue, on converting your presence into revenue? Was it the one or the one before where you were really? Last one was story. It was the one you spoke at. We were talking about your presence. Okay. What impressed me about that was the clarity that you shared. And I remember when you spoke about it, there was a lot of clarity that you shared with, and, and I think we're talking about that very top goal, you know, what, what, making sure that everything that you do is in service of that ultimate goal. Because at the end of the day, all of the measurements don't matter except really how much money you're earning. <laughs> Probably. Am I oversimplifying? Well, no, a business ex- exists to make a sale. A business exists to generate profit. And so if you are someone who's got a huge following, but you can't pay your mortgage, that doesn't impress me. I think that you're you're in it for vanity metrics. You're not in it for your financial well-being. I believe that you should be able to make good money. I think you should make a difference to the people you do business with. And that those two things are far more important than the number of followers you have on Instagram, on YouTube, on Facebook, on LinkedIn, or on your mailing list. Because I know a lot of people that have worked with me over the years, Steve, that have massive followings, but they don't have massive paychecks. Because they're chasing the sand rather than the rocks. Right. And they're chasing vanity metrics. Oh, look at me. I got this many likes on this post. Oh, look at me. I got this many people following me. Who cares? You don't go into the bank and buy your next house on Facebook likes. They don't care. That's your ego getting in the way. And the other side of that ego is that you are not a failure if you have a small but engaged following. Absolutely. I have a smallest. All of our communities are the same number. It's one. Yes. One community. That's right. But I mean, even my business, I have less than 5,000 people on my mailing list. Less than 5,000 people. But my business will do a significant amount of revenue this year. But your list, you communicate with them. How often do you send an email out? Uh, once a week, sometimes twice. You craft a, an original email each and every week, and you're a good writer. That's, I mean, that's, is that your biggest strength is writing, you would say? I think my biggest strength is teaching, but okay. I, I do write. I don't, I don't love writing. I find it hard. I you get into don't? analysis paralysis. Yeah, everybody tells me I'm a great oh. writer, and I look at my writing like, oh, my God, it's so boring. That's yeah. so good to hear. Your stuff is always so fresh and light. I, and, and, I, and I mean that really complimentary. Your, your, your writing always seems to flow effortlessly. It doesn't. That is so good to know. That is so good to know. Uh, I will 
put links in in the in the in the show notes so that people can sign up for your mail list because if you are into the things that Lisa is talking about it she is a wonderful coach who doesn't pull punches uh, in her opinion and I know you don't pull punches with your community as well and you've been a, a great mentor for me I mean I, I sh- as I mentioned off the off the top preamble that some of the things that you put in place for me back in the days when I was starting. And you didn't do it by talking to me about it. You role modeled. I, I, I deconstructed what you were doing business-wise almost before we became friends. We were we talked, but before we became friends. But the difference, the, the basic business principles and tenets that you make, I admire so much because they, they work. And there's a no-nonsense attitude about them. So we'll be sharing all of those links. Lisa, I uh, thank you so much for your time. It, this was awesome. 